This podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell. And I'm Hayley Alice Roberts and this is the first episode in a brand new mini-series for our podcast. Welcome to Summer of Sharks. Yeah, just when you thought it was safe to go back to the podcast water, we're going to be covering a multitude of shark movies and we're going to be starting off with arguably the most famous shark movie of the lot. And what better way to usher in this miniseries than taking a look at 1975's Jaws, directed by Steven Spielberg. We really couldn't have started anywhere else. When you're taking on sharks, this is the king of shark movies and arguably the only one you really need to see because it is the best. Jaws doesn't really need an introduction because it's so famous, but I will give a brief synopsis which is available on imdb when a killer shark unleashes chaos on a beach community it's up to a local sheriff a marine biologist and old seafarer to hunt the beast down yeah i mean i'm sure there's people that have not seen jaws out there but i don't think anybody i know has not seen it um it's a movie that's been around a very long time it's been on tv numerous times and it is just a classic i mean even from the opening sequence where you get the swimmer going out and being menaced by something unseen from that opening sequence you kind of know what you're letting yourself in for you know you're in good hands it's really suspenseful it's brilliantly directed and it sets you up for the rest of the movie i believe this was the first proper horror movie i ever watched and i think it is a good intro into the horror genre and also the creature feature genre as well. I really enjoy revisiting this film. I never get tired of watching it. it as you say, it's such a classic and has so many iconic moments in, obviously, the opening scene, as you were saying. Then there's the kill of the little boy on the beach, which is you know, quite disturbing in a sense, but really cleverly shot. So you just get kind of blood in the sea kind of gushing about, but you don't really see anything. And I think what's masterful about this film is a lot of it's left up to the imagination. Obviously, because we're talking about making a movie in the 70s, technology wasn't what it is today, and the shark was an animatronic. But I really like this element of it because the shark isn't, you know, an omnipresent feature. It's all based on suggestion. It really builds on the atmosphere. And we don't get to see the shark until about an hour and a bit into the film. And I, I, as I say, I really just love that whole aspect of it because it just plays on your mind, leaves it to the imagination. And then when you do see the shark, I mean, I still think for its day, it is, you know, pretty good. It's pretty effective. 
some shots of it now it does look a little bit fake but i think what they did with this movie is absolutely brilliant like i i can't fault it i i just really enjoy the whole suspense of it and um yeah you never know when the shark's going to attack next and i think that's what keeps you on your edge of your seat throughout and even though the shark does look a bit rubbery and a bit fake in certain sequences it's so well directed the suspense is so expertly cranked up that you're willing to give them some leeway about how the shark looks because it's still scary even though when people are kind of sliding down towards this big rubber mouth with these teeth in it it's still quite terrifying it does work despite the fact that it does maybe look a little bit fake but even so in the days of CGI sharks now, I think the one in Jaws looks a lot better because there's just one thing you can't really CGI in. I've not really seen a totally convincing CGI shark. Maybe with a couple of exceptions. I think the ones in Deep Blue Sea were quite good. But because these days you can make a shark movie reasonably cheaply with some digital effects, then I think that suspense just goes by the wayside it's just more focused on gore these days there's some gore in jaws but it's because there's not too much of it in it's when something really horrible happens it's all the more startling like you said with the kid and you don't see him get eaten by the shark you just see him thrashing about and there's blood spraying out and things and that's even more effective it doesn't have to rub this really horrible death in your face it just gives you enough of it and of course following the bit where the kid is pulled under you get the very famous shot of Roy Scheider where the dolly zoom comes in on him where he actually realizes what's happened on the beach because he's been telling the mayor not to open the beaches and the mayor obviously if you don't know who the mayor of Jaws is there's like a million memes about the mayor of Jaws saying to keep the beaches open and it's at that point he just realizes that I mean he's not complicit in it but he realises that he hasn't done enough to convince the mayor to shut everything. Now, there's a lot of stuff going on in Jaws. It's not just a great horror movie. The characters are all really well-defined. So you've got Chief Brody, who's this very everyday policeman. You've got Matt Hooper, played by Richard Dreyfus, who is this rather well-to-do oceanographer who's financed his own boat, which puts him at odds with Quint, who's the rugged seafarer, played by Robert Shaw. But the three of them do have to come together eventually to fight off the shark menace, which sets up the second half of the movie where they go and hunt it down in the ocean, which you'd think like three guys on a boat for about 50 minutes hunting something that might or might not be there. You'd think that'd be quite boring. But once they get out to sea, it's really, really exciting. And the tension in those scenes were actually quite genuine because Richard Dreyfus and Robert Shaw didn't actually get on, apparently. So all that kind of conflict between their characters um, was pretty much real. Robert Shaw was genuinely drunk on set as well. Apparently there was like two different days where they shot those scenes. And um, I was like watching a video on IMDb that kind of pointed out sometimes you can tell in his eyes when he's actually drunk and then other shots are like when he was sober so it's like you can actually tell so i wouldn't actually notice on this viewing but when i go back i am going to be looking out for that i love that with films that even though they're classics there's one you see like time and time again you can go back and find something like new or interesting 
And of course, um, the scenes on the Orca, I think they were an absolute nightmare to film because the boat um, did actually sink. Yeah, this is the problem. I mean, it was a very ambitious production and there's a lot of the movie that takes place on the water. And Spielberg had got a few films under his credit, mostly TV work. But it just goes to show the ambition of Steven Spielberg even then. He wanted something that was really out there that people hadn't really seen before. And his determination to get it completed and to make it that convincing, it's a testament to him as a filmmaker. It must have been an absolute nightmare, the shoot. And I'm sure it probably drove pretty much everybody to breaking point. But the finished product is so good that you don't see all the turmoil behind the scenes. It just looks great. The acting's all brilliant. The writing's really sharp. If somebody asks you why you like cinema, I think a few people would point to Jaws as the reason why you should see movies in a cinema because it creates its own atmosphere in there. It's fine watching it on the TV screen because we've just done that. And it does work, but there's something about being in that environment where it's a claustrophobic setting and you've got this unseen menace lurking somewhere. There's a story about Jaws, uh, which involves my mum. My mum went to see Jaws and there's a bit in the movie where Richard Dreyfuss goes under a boat and he's looking in a hole in the bottom of the boat and all of a sudden this guy's head appears in the gap in the bottom of the boat. Now, it's such an effective scare that my mum jumped up in the cinema and grabbed the guy thinking it was my dad. Unfortunately, <laughs> my mum didn't go to see Jaws with my dad. She'd grabbed some random bloke who was sitting <laughs> at the side of her in the cinema. <laughs> That's brilliant. And going back to that scare, I have to confess, I jumped. It's been so many times like since I've seen this film, but both me and my mum watching it, we did genuinely jump. And it, it's just impressive how effective that scare still is today. You kind of know it's coming, but it's it's a really, really good, well-crafted jump scare. And in a lot of movies nowadays, you can kind of like pinpoint when the jump scares are coming. But for this, this one, I'd say with this and also the ending of Carrie, I think those two still hold up massively uh, by today's standards. Yeah, I mean, the bit with the head in the bottom of the boat, I still genuinely dread that coming up. Considering I'm a person that's watched all sorts of horror movies, it's odd to think that this particular bit in a PG-rated movie is the one sequence that I always get creeped out by. And as soon as they get to the boat, I'm kind of on edge until it's over. And then I'm all right for the rest of the movie. But it just shows what a great scare it is. And that you don't have to have buckets of blood and an 18 rated sensibility to get a really good jump out of people. In terms of the PG rating, I think it pushed the envelope of the PG rating. When it was released in the States, they accepted that it would be a PG, but they had to put something on the poster saying that it would possibly be too intense for younger children. Over in the UK, it was rated A, which was the equivalent of the PG. It was uncut, but I think there were a lot of discussions about whether Jaws should be available for younger children. And at that time, there was no midpoint between the A rating and the AA rating, which is like the 15 
these days. So Jaws was kind of, I think the, the censorship board thought it was possibly not strong enough to be 14 years and up, but too strong to be younger children. And in the end, it was released with an A. Now, it may be that it was a big studio movie, and I'm not saying that they leaned on the censorship board because they probably didn't, but they looked at the movie and they looked at who it was targeted at and possibly were a little bit more lenient on it because I believe nowadays it's a 12. Yeah, that's interesting. It is a bit of a grey area, but I think it kind of depends on the child and what that child's limits are. I mean, I was about probably eight years old when I first saw it. My mum put it on for me. Um, we watched it together. And I think it was like airing on BBC or something like that at the time. And I remember being really engrossed in it. And I don't think I was like that scared of it. I just I really enjoyed it. But obviously, I think my whole life, I've always been drawn to horror. Even I think I'm I'm fascinated by the stuff that scares me. So I'm more interested in that kind of, and and weird enough, like I love swimming in the sea. I always went to the beach and stuff. I grew I grew up in a coastal town anyway. And it's like it's it never really affected me, which is quite interesting. Like I might make jokes about it, like saying, Oh, you know, don't go in the water and that and oh, there might be a shark. But no, honestly, it's not a film that affected me. So again, I think it just all depends on the child and and how much that they they can stomach i suppose but it is it does go to some quite dark places as i say the whole scene with the little boy getting killed that's quite bold and that's mm. only like something like 20 minutes into the film and it's all based on the sheer panic and the frenzy that's going on on the beach as well that's what makes it effective and then his mother just like lurking around but there's a great story about these characters as well. Um, so I'm just going to read this off IMDb, but I thought this was really cool. Several decades after the film's release, Lee Ferrero, who plays Mrs. Kintner, walked into a seafood restaurant and noticed that the menu had an Alex Kintner sandwich. She commented that she had played his mother so many years ago. The owner of the restaurant ran out to meet her and he was none other than Jeffrey Voorhees, who had played her son. They had not seen each other since the original movie shoot. Like, what are the chances of that? Yeah, yeah. That's very bizarre that they've got an Alex Kintner sandwich on the menu. Is it a sandwich made of poor old Alex Kintner after he succumbs to the, the shark? I mean, it's, it's uh, yeah, it does lead to another great sequence where Chief Brody is confronted by Mrs. Kintner, who just gives him the biggest slap across the face because she believes he's responsible for the death of her son. And while he isn't directly responsible, he didn't really stop it either. So you've got these moral dilemmas throughout the film. Now, Brody is essentially a good man, but he's forced to question his lack of action earlier in the movie, that he doesn't push the mayor hard enough. I mean, you know that deep down Brody's a good guy at heart, but it doesn't paint everybody... In black and white, this movie, everybody's in varying shades of grey. I mean, Mayor Vaughan, he's a bit of a caricature. He's the typical politician who just wants to make everybody happy. But even he gets a moment at the end where he realises what he's done. And after yet another shark attack, when he's meeting Brody in the hospital, he says, my kids were on that beach too. Now, it doesn't excuse what he's done before, but it gives you a little glimpse of humanity into a guy you've been pretty much hating throughout the rest of the movie. Yeah, and I think Brody is just undermined constantly by the mayor 
and it's as you say there's that tug of moral questioning going on throughout the movie and as you say Brody is a good guy but he doesn't have that support like he's trying his best and it's just interesting like we know exactly what's going on but the other characters don't so we know that obviously there's been this um shark attack that's caused death that's been covered up and then people haven't been forewarned so therefore um another tragic death has occurred and it, it just kind of spirals out of control and then of course they think they've caught the shark and they think yay all is it was right but you know they just want to kind of you know close the chapter on it all and and you know move on open the beaches because it's summer it's only when the marine biologist character Cooper comes in and he's like that's not the shark there's no way that shark could have done that so obviously you've got that expert coming in and like tipping the equilibrium a bit there so um yeah it's really it's, it's really good because you know when that bit happens we've still got a lot of movie to get through and we're, we're not going to take down the shark too easy as soon as they get the shark in there you know the first thing you're with hooper because aside from the fact that the movie isn't halfway over the first thing that they come in, you think, you know, these guys have not caught it. And Hooper knows it and Quint knows it. And after Brody has seen it for a few minutes, Brody kind of knows it as well, but just doesn't want to admit it until Hooper says, you know, the, the bite radius isn't anything like the one we're looking for. It also really effectively portrays small town life as well. Within a few minutes of the start, there's a sequence in which Brody takes a walk around the town and within that few minutes you get the setup of the town you get the feel of what it's like to be living in that place and it doesn't do it in a particularly smart arsey way either it's just this guy wandering around the town and bumping into various people that obviously know him it's really economical storytelling because it sets it up without having to bash you over the head where he's signposted to go to various places and you get introduced to all these people in a very deliberate way no it's just it's really smartly done so it gives you an idea of how amity works without you having to have 20 25 minutes of him wandering around and being introduced one by one to all of these quirky characters it gets that out of the way straight away so you can just get into the thriller aspect of it which is really what its aim is i think it's there to create a bit of a thrill ride to me as well it seems to be a bit of a natural successor to Jewel which was Spielberg's 1972 film in which a man is menaced by a truck which may or may not have a driver and they've both got that theme of ordinary guys having to take on something extraordinary in Jewel's case it's a maniacal piece of machinery in Jaws it's a murderous shark but there's still elements in it jaws seems to be a, a very big budget and a very grand version of the stuff that spielberg was doing in jewel a, a few years previously yeah there's definitely that feel of authenticity with the community scenes it's like there's a very real kind of relatable sensibility about it and then as you say you've got this um ordinary place in this extraordinary situation which makes it quite interesting like you can relate to the characters and think like, oh, what would you do in that situation? But I like it how it presents that. So um, we've got to talk about the famous line, you're going to need a bigger boat, yep. which has just been heavily quoted and replicated in 
movies across the ages since that but apparently it was not scripted and it was ad-libbed by Roy Schneider which is very interesting yeah I think he was just looking for something to say on a on a different take and that's what came out and it is the iconic line of the movie and it follows just this great sight gag stroke shock where he's throwing this chum over the side and he's moaning about having to do that because it obviously stinks and it's the job that nobody wants to do and he's whinging about it and then in the background the shark comes out of the water his face when he jumps back and it's the look on his face he's obviously terrified but it's also hilarious at the same time and then he kind of backs into the galley and then just says you know you're gonna need a bigger boat which you would have thought at the time that had to be scripted but it's so off the cuff it's a brilliant line and it's the one that everybody remembers yeah no that scene is completely iconic and it's just great to know that sometimes these moments aren't planned and it's like the best moments in films can be the ones that are completely improvised the film is actually based on a book as well i've never read the book but apparently steven spielberg said when he first read it he found himself rooting for the shark because he found the human characters so unlikable that's a really interesting dynamic there because I don't think anybody's particularly unlikable. As you say, we've discussed like the mayor character and of course we've got Robert Shaw's character as well. Yeah, they're not the most easygoing people or the people that you can get on board with, but they're not like all out moustache twirling villains either. So um, I'm glad that they've put like more dimensions to the characterizations in this film rather than just have it be like, yeah, we just want the shark to win. Although I quite like the shark. I think I just think they should leave the shark alone. Yeah, I mean, despite the fact that it's torn a sway through some of the cast, the bit at the end where it's getting harpooned and prodded and shot and all that, I do have a little bit of sympathy for the shark. Of course, the way that the movie plays out, you kind of want them to get rid of the shark menace at the end. And you want Brody to be the guy who does it because he's the one who's scared of the water and he's the guy who's a novice in all of this. I'm not completely unsympathetic to the shark. In terms of scripting and ad-libbing, one of the more iconic sequences as well, this speech about the USS Indianapolis, which Quint relates towards the end, that was kind of two-thirds scripted and one-third of Robert Shaw combined to weave into this story about how he was on a boat in the Second World War and it got sunk. They were on a secret mission. Nobody knew they were there. And then the men in the water slowly started getting picked off by the sharks that were in the water. It's a it's a brilliantly written and performed sequence because it goes from really jolly, all these drunken hijinks, all these jokes being thrown about, to absolutely dead serious in just that. It's so good. And it's a quieter bit of the movie because of all the mayhem that's been going on previously. And it just slows the movie down to a point where it gives you a bit of time to breathe and to take on board exactly what they're all facing. And the fact that Quint might seem a bit of an abrasive character and he might be hard to get on with. But there's a reason for all of that. And he lays this reason out in front of them and they've got no comeback to it. It's just brilliant. Yeah, it really gives a deeper insight into these characters as well. And I think that's why it's so good because 
a lot of movies like this, the characters are very throwaway, and as you'll discover in our next episode, <laughs> um, there's not much to them, and, and all you're there for is the spectacle of people getting chewed up by sharks, I should say. Jaws was the ultimate summer blockbuster when it was released. It was kind of one of the first ones. It was a trendsetter, and it was like the highest grossing film until Star Wars came out in 1977, so... I thought that was pretty interesting and it won an award as well um, John Williams the composer obviously everyone knows the theme music to Jaws it's absolutely iconic Spielberg wasn't on board with it when he first heard it he just thought it sounded a bit gimmicky but actually you just can't imagine the film without that score now and I know it's very foreboding and it's kind of telling the audience when the shark's on its way but you know it's still very effective and it just it still puts a smile on your face when you revisit the film. Yeah, the only shark in movie history that carried the cello around with it. <laughs> but it is, uh, it is iconic because whenever you mention sharks in any situation, you always have somebody that goes, da-da. And that's where it comes from. You know, you can't deny the fact that it's an influential score. It's very, very simple, but it's so effective. It's the piece of music that you relate with that particular creature. You think Shark, you think John Williams' score for Jaws. It's really great. And like the rest of this movie, it's not trying to do things in a smart-arsey and overly complicated way. It's trying to deliver things in a very straightforward manner. Even the score. It's not particularly on the nose, but the score isn't hugely complicated. But it works. It doesn't have to be. Because the film is just driving you along to a point. So I think I'm not sure that there's anything as a as a perfect movie. Everything's got faults, but I think Jaws is about as close to a perfect movie as you're gonna get, in my opinion. Definitely for its time as well. Like I don't have any kind of faults to pick with it whatsoever. It's a movie that I can just revisit and thoroughly enjoy every time you know get something new from every time as well there's always going to be things that you don't notice and that i reckon next time i'll probably be waiting for that jump scare but it really caught me off guard this time which i really like so the fact that you know a movie that is you know so well known from the 1970s still has that impact is um a testament to its legacy basically and you're right about it being a blockbuster it made something like was it 60 times its budget or something it was it made an absolute ton of money at the box office even though it went over budget and over schedule and they had to pump a load of other money into it and Spielberg ended up shooting some of the sequences in a pool because they couldn't get back out onto the ocean but even so it was money well spent for Universal because at the time I don't think many people had much faith in Jaws even though they'd pumped more money than they'd intended into it. But I'm sure that once they got the first couple of weeks of box office receipts back, I reckon that they'd had to eat their words there and thought, whatever they paid Spielberg, it probably wasn't enough. And of course, we can't talk about Jaws without mentioning um, its legacy in the form of the ride at Universal Studios. I never got the chance to experience this ride. I'm really sad about it. But um, it was in the Florida park and basically you got taken on a boat ride and then 
at some point a animatronic jaws would come out and attack you there's all these special effects and there's plenty of footage of it on youtube so it's definitely worth a watch but i believe the ride is still operating in the japanese universal studios as well so you can still ride it but you'll have to go all the way to japan i probably will go all the way to japan to ride it because i'm quite up for doing that um, if it's not in the american park anymore then i'm gonna have to do it at some point because it's my sort of thing one thing i will say about jaws and it's not a particular it's like the most minor criticism of the lot when hooper is going to go off on an expedition and decides to stay back in in amity because he's got a shark right there that he can study he does say that um, there's no point in him going to brisbane and I'm thinking, don't you mean Brisbane? But in this movie, it's Brisbane. And maybe it's just, it doesn't grate with me, but I every time I'm just thinking, here comes the Brisbane line. And I'm sorry, Richard Dreyfuss, because you're brilliant in the movie. It's a ridiculous point of contention for me, but there it is. So I hope you've enjoyed listening to our thoughts on Jaws. Let us know your thoughts on it as well, of course. And if it's your first viewing, which I highly doubt, or if you've seen it many times, we just love to know your opinion on it and how you think it holds up to today and any facts you enjoy about it as well, because there are millions of facts about this film that we haven't even sort of touched the sides on. So that's it for our first shark episode. I do wish we could chat longer. And that's it for episode 26 of the HD Movie Podcast. As ever, thank you all for listening. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, we are on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at HD Movie Podcast. Give us a, a like or a follow or whatever you want to do and let us know your thoughts on the movies we discuss. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, of course, we always welcome that. So let us know. So next week, it's the second Summer of Sharks episode. Now, after the modern classic that is Jaws, are we going to have another modern classic? What's next week's going to be? We're really not going to have a modern classic as such. Maybe a kind of cult guilty pleasure. We are going to be following Jaws up with the mighty sci-fi produced film Sharknado. <laughs> yes. So until then, stay safe, everybody. See you soon. The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Hayley Alice Roberts and Darren Gaskell. Its music is written and performed by Mitch Bain. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes and Podbean.